Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. We are coming to you on Monday night, December 4th. Richie and I are just finishing up one of our Dynasty drafts. I have joined a few more leagues, but we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to get into some of the names that we may have slept on this season or names that may be new to us as we continue to venture deep into the land of Dynasty baseball especially Dynasty Fantasy Baseball. So we're going to be talking to you about some names from the DSL today and some names from the first-year player draft that we like, as well as a couple players that just slipped under the radar. But before we get into that, why don't we welcome in Richie. Richie, what is going on, buddy? Hey, how's it going? It feels good to get my first couple Dynasty drafts out of the way. Um, fantasy football had some ups and downs this week, but it looks like we might get to make the playoffs in all of them. I know you don't care about fantasy football, but I'll take that as a, a nice win here. Yeah. So for you, the listeners, I am completely out on fantasy football. My <laughs> wife, before we took a road trip this past week, uh, presumed to tell me that in her women's league, she dropped Brees Hall and Jaden Reed. And I just looked at her. With Fury, I said, what What do you mean you dropped Reed and Hall? The, arguably her two best players with where we currently are in the, in the season. Now, mind you, she auto-drafted and didn't know she was even playing in the league until the team was already constructed. So not much to actually be upset by, but <clears throat> just goes into play with how much I absolutely despise fantasy football. And, um, you know, I think it's a good representation of why I like ba- uh, fantasy baseball. It's Fantasy baseball, at least from my perspective, is more of a calculated game of chess. Uh, fantasy football is basically close your eyes, throw the dart at the board, and... Hope you get the breakout yes. of the year. Well, and I think we found over the last few years, uh, auto-draft teams actually tend to be better than, you know, a, a well-thought-out strategic draft. We can always date that all the way back to, you know, the college days, and that's that's always frustrated me a little bit. Um, but this is not a fantasy football show, thankfully. Uh, this is a fantasy baseball <laughs> show. So if you're new to the show, Richie and I have been playing fantasy baseball in a keeper format since we were probably 21. Um, Earlier than that, in like 19. Yeah, maybe 19. I mean, we got into it, I think, your second year of college. Um, And I had known a lot about baseball. I had grown up liking baseball. Richie took to it very quickly, being the competitive person that you are, and got our friends involved. And then, you know, you and I stayed competitive and, and stayed knowledgeable through the years to keep that edge. And here we are. Um, you know, you've joined a couple of dynasty leagues with me this this uh, fall, and I have joined far too many leagues, more than I'm, I think, uh, okay to even um, announce or admit to. So today we're going to talk strategy as well. You know, we're going to talk strategy. We're going to break down some of those players as I had mentioned earlier. But the strategy uh, portion of this is just going to kind of go over what we did in our dynasty drafts, what we thought worked for us, what we thought didn't work, and then kind of break it down even deeper, looking at points. Roto in categories. I think, honestly, after coming out of these drafts, for me, points obviously is different. um, But Roto in categories, I don't think my strategy changed all that much. But why don't we get into it, Richie? Talk to us a little bit about what your strategy was, where you fell in the draft, and how things ended up turning out based off those two key variables. Yeah, so I know you're in a lot of dynasty leagues, but the two that we were in together are completely different. So the first one um, was actually industry. Uh, I would say I would consider it an industry league draft. There was a couple guys from Baseball America in there and some other players that um, I think just found out through um, social media. 
So I'm considering that an industry. That was a five by five OBP instead of average league. And in that league, I think I had the fifth pick. Um, and so with it being OBP over average, my target was Juan Soto because he walks more than he strikes out. So you may look at his average and see, oh, he's bat between, batted between 250, 275 the last couple of years. But if you account for his OBP, it's well over 400. So that plays up. It was a little bit of a hindrance on my speed because I think he's only going to give me 10 to 15 stolen bases. So I pass on guys like Tatis, Tucker. I think I had a shot at Bobby Witt. And, yeah, Bobby Witt had like 45, 48 stolen bases, 29 home runs. But I think I found a lot of value with stolen bases later on in the draft. I targeted some of those younger guys that have a little bit of warts, like a Willie Castro, who had, I think, like 30 stolen bases last year. Like he was in the top 15. He slid to me. So I was going with best available um, in that draft. And then in our second draft that we had together, I would say that's more fan, your typical fan type of a dynasty league, not many industry experts in there. And it was interesting with my approach on this one because it's a dynasty head to head points league and with daily setup. And I looked at the roster construction. You can start two RPs and then two P slots. So the maximum per week was 12 um, starts for the starting pitchers. But with it being daily, I was like, okay, I want to maximize on my relief pitchers and just pound the pitchers early so that I can have that depth and interchange those. And I had the 15th out of 16th pick there. So I was really torn with what to do because I had an option of going Aaron Judge or Garrett Cole. And... I was like, you know what, screw it. Let's go with uh, I'll win in a couple years approach. I ended up going Ellie De La Cruz and Junior Caminero, and that pretty much dictated how my draft was going to unfold from there. So I think I'd be curious to know how my draft in the head-to-head points um, Dynasty League would have turned out if I would have went Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge, how I would have drafted differently because in the third and fourth round, I ended up taking Tariq Skubal and Tristan Casas, where had I gone Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole, I can guarantee you I would not have taken those two players in the third and fourth. So we can get a little bit more in depth on how the draft unfolded a little bit later, but I want to give you a chance to explain to the listeners what your strategy was in both the industry league and I guess we're saying the fan head-to-head dynasty league. Well, yeah, and I think this is something, you know, coming out of these two drafts with you and then doing the other drafts that I'm in, I think each draft that I've been a part of this um, this fall has shown me really how giving advice in the fantasy world is a challenge. If you look at our drafts, they differed, right? We had the expert league or the industry league, which was open universe, right? You could take anybody. If they're available in fan tracks, you can take them. So, I took Roki Sasaki. You had a couple other teams reach for some Japanese or Korean players that should be posted or should be coming over in the next few years. You had um, you had Jackson Holiday's brother, Ethan Holiday, get taken by one, by one of the industry individuals, and it really shaped the way we got to use our strategy. And I think then you look at the league that we um, drafted in, which was the points head-to-head, where you took Ellie De La Cruz and Junior Camanyaro, that was a majors and minors draft. So 
you know, Ellie being a great prospect from last year coming up, being a major leaguer now, but then Junior also making an appearance in the major leagues didn't have to get taken in the minor league draft. Now, another draft I'm a part of is doing a majors and minors as well, but the deviation is actually falling under prospect guidelines. So Junior Comanero is not available in the player pool until the minor league draft. There are all these differing rules that fall into play, which makes it a little bit more challenging to construct your team. It also makes it more uh, challenging in a dynasty league to really play for the future when you have the majors and minors draft. And I'm not sure exactly how I like the differences right now. Um, you know, I enjoyed our industry league. I'm really enjoying my 70 roster spot league, which is a mix of majors and minors. There is no separation in draft. And that's the approach I think I will take moving forward in almost any dynasty league that I join where I get to draft, which is, you know, take what you can get in that first and second round based off with your, what your draft position is. But you said it perfectly. When you fall anywhere beyond 10, you're kind of just inclined to want to go young because the older guys are there. The Aaron Judges, the Mookie Betts, the Garrett Coles, as you had mentioned, where it's like, well, shoot, if this dynasty league lasts and this is an actual league for five to 10 years, I am better going young. And, and I think that's the strategy laid out more importantly is where you are drafting. For me, in our head-to-heads points leagues, I got the number one pick. It's automatic going with Acuna. And then from there, I was really kind of trying to decide who do I take based off age, need, and availability. And it just kind of played out where I drafted a very um, team of of competition right now, a very competitive team right off the bat. And then in the prospect draft, it just kind of happened to fall where we were talking about it before we jumped on today. Drafted a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Not intentionally, just best available at my, my pick. Um, and so I have a team that's competitive currently, and then I have a wave coming in two to three years, the Xavier Isaacs of the, um, Alfredo Dino's, a lot of the guys that, you know, we have liked or talked about through the year, but just happened to be younger. And I enjoyed that a lot. I, I think that's probably my best draft so far. All the other drafts I've gone really, really heavy on prospects. I'm taking basically first 30 rounds. We'll just say 20 to 25 prospects and completely pushing my future success um, into the into the eyes of my my competitive goal, but the problem with that is, does the league last? Uh, I think you and I like to think we can probably help keep leagues alive, but we also had the conversation today that at the, at the end of the day, it's up to the commissioner and his desire if he wants to keep it alive, if he has teams that start falling off. But um, let's talk a little bit about you had mentioned the RP approach, and I thought that was really interesting where RPs are available as positions to play. And then the pitcher slot, the open pitcher slot, either starter or reliever is available. Tell me what your thoughts are on, on how important that is to the league that we're in. Oh, absolutely. It's important, especially with, I'm trying to see if I can pull up the point structure, but there's no points for a win or quality start in this points league. Instead, they have a quality appearance where as long as you make um three innings and give up less than three earned runs you get extra points for quality appearance now granted the relievers that you're drafting are probably only going in for an inning or two so you're not going to take advantage of that but there's seven points for save so that is huge especially if you get some lockdown closers and um i'm stalling here because i'm trying to find out the exact picks 
where I took my relievers, but I ultimately started out by going Andres Munoz, and then I backed it up with Felix Bautista. Bautista, Tommy John, he's going to be out all of 2024, but he just kept falling and falling. I think I got him as like, I want to say in the range of 15th to 20th overall RP, especially in a dynasty league. I feel like that was extreme value for me. I backed that up with taking Alex Lang of the Detroit Tigers. You and I talked off air that I really liked what I saw from the Tigers at the end of the year. They started winning some games. You know, they had Reese Olsen starting to pitch well. They brought up Sawyer Gibson Long. They just signed Kenta Maeda. Spencer Torkelson hit a groove. You have um, Parker Meadows coming up. You have um, Colt Keith that we expect coming up, Justin Henry Malloy. I like the young players that are coming up for the Tigers. I really like this team and the direction they're going. I think that they can be close to 500, and the games that they win are going to be coming down to those safe situations, and I think Lang can give you at least 30 saves. Then I backed it up with uh, taking Brian Abreu, um, setup man for the Houston Astros, but I think he's got probably top 15 stuff of any RP in all of baseball. I mean, he's only 24, one of the best international signings for relief pitchers a few years ago. Love him. He's got, I think, like less than a two ERA, less than a one whip. Then I just went for value after that. I got Kyle Finnegan, closer for the Washington Nationals. I don't really like him long-term, but at least for, I think my window to win is going to be next year or in two years with some of the Tommy John guys I got. I ended up with Sandy Alcantara, Jeffrey Springs, Felix Bautista, which I mentioned. But I also took some um, shots at Trevor Bauer and Eric Fetty coming over from Japan. Hopefully they can sign some major league contracts here. And then finally to wrap up my RP slots, I went with Eniel De Los Santos, who is just traded to the San Diego Padres from the Cleveland Guardians. Had a great season over there for the Cleveland Guardians. I think he put up like a 3-2-7 ERA. And then I also handcuffed that with taking Robert Suarez for the Padres. So as long as they don't sign anybody, um, but who knows, there's a lot of Juan Soto trade rumors. I wouldn't be surprised if they get an RP in whatever package that they send Soto in. So I might have taken an L with backing up the Padres relief uh, bullpen, but we'll see. Either way, I got a lot of options to go with that RP slot. Well, yeah, and it uh, it also goes into play. I think the biggest calculator here is just reading the point structure in your league. We had noticed right off the bat in this head-to-head points that stolen bases were three points per uh, successful oh, yes. attempt. And it's negative one point for being caught stealing. But right off the bat, we noticed, hey, okay, so let's leverage the speed usually this is the approach you're taking in Roto and categories because speed is a category or a position of value. But here in the points at three points, this is something where you have to leverage, right? Getting Acuna right off the bat for me was really, really big. Come that turn where I was looking at potential suitors for I think my third or fourth round, I decided to take Nico Horner because coming out of last year with his 40 plus stolen bases, that was going to be a really big uptick. You had taken Victor Scott, um, I saw in later rounds, I think it was, of the prospect draft. You know, we are huge proponents of Victor Scott in this, uh, on this show and as well as in fantasy in general. And you're talking about a guy that we expect 50 to 75 stolen bases if he has a starting everyday job. So you were able to really capitalize on an outfielder that just off one skill set will have utility in this league. 
And I, I think this is probably the first league I've played in where the point structure is so heavily in favor of speed. But I really enjoyed that part of this. And I think it will be really interesting to see some of the guys like Nico Horner, who really in the past in, in points leagues were just kind of guys that you're okay starting, where now you're looking at this as actually a value pick. Also then Victor Scott being a guy that's not going to provide a lot of power. Uh, we're kind of projecting 8-15, to 15, really being a guy that's a great number four outfielder where other teams are rostering guys that may just be platoon splits. So I like that a lot. I love the RP strategy. It's something I have wanted to utilize in leagues, and I didn't necessarily get in on it in our joint league. I've actually really heavily hit it in a different league uh, where you can start three relievers and then start two um, overall P slots. So I'm going five closers. And I'm very interested to see how it goes. And I think, too, what you do is you allow yourself a little bit of leeway then with not having to capitalize on some of the really high-end starters. You can try to kind of supplement that with guys that's gonna, that are going to get you innings. And the name for me that comes up is Jordan Wicks uh, and other individuals of that profile. But kind of transitioning here, if you don't have anything else to add, Richie. I was just going to list off the rounds where I got my RPs. I got um, Andres Munoz in the eighth round. I got Felix Bautista in the 10th. And then I got, I didn't take any for a while, but then Alex Lang fell to the 20th round, which in a 16 team league is well beyond the th 300th range. Then I went Brian Abreu in the 21st round. So I went back to back there. And then Kyle Finnegan fell to the 27th round, which was nuts to see. I was just like, I can't pass this up. And then the 30th and 31st round, I backed up the Padres bullpen with De Los Santos and Suarez. And round 31 was the end of the major league draft for us. And round 32 started our minor league draft. So I made sure that those last two picks, I was locking up that San Diego bullpen. It's funny. I think this is probably just, you know, our natural communication, the way we feel about players. But the other league that I'm in that I've referenced a few times, which is also points, I have Munoz, I have Lang, I have Batista, uh, I have Compusano <laughs> as my catcher. Um, I, have, I definitely think we influence each other for sure. Well, and it, I think with our the strategy that, that we like to take, um, in honestly, draft position too, my draft position was almost identically your draft position in our shared league. You know, I, I think this is kind of just how the industry standard works out, where it's like these guys stare you in the face. And yes, you may be taking them a round or two early, but when you are heavily loading up on prospects, which, you know, you I don't think you've been able to mention yet, but you made a decision to trade out of some of your key picks in the majors mm -hmm. draft to acquire minor picks, which was really beneficial for you. And in a lot of ways, you were taking prospects before you were taking major leaguers with doing those trades. You know, you're you're locked into taking guys like Campusano, who I think we're both in agreement here is probably the last catcher off the board that we're really okay with. Um, a name that comes to mind for me after Campusano would be Ruiz for Washington, who I'm, I'm okay with, but I would much rather have Campusano, who seems to be the last catcher um, of that tier people are forgetting about because of his limited playing time with San Diego last year. And my curiosity is, did we reach on the Junior Caminero's, on the Ellie De La Cruz's. You know, it, it, it's hard to say no, we did not, but I think we'll know in five no, years. I don't think so. Um, I, don't, I don't think so either. 
if we if we didn't do it, somebody was going to do it. And I remember when I took Junior Caminero, I took him in the second round, which would have been the 18th overall pick. And I remember some people that were five or six picks after me saying, damn it, um, that was the player I was going for. So I knew Caminero was, wasn't going to fall much further. It's the Ellie pick that I'm curious about. There was a, a lot of hate given my way um, for taking Ellie. But you know what? I'm going to take the player that I like, and when he gets on base, he's going to steal, like you said, three points per stolen base. His upside is Ronald Acuna-type stolen bases with getting 60, 70, maybe even 80 if he can get on base at a better clip. And I think, honestly, I got him at a value for the way this league is set up for sure. Yeah, and he's polarizing, right? You look at Junior Comanero, you look at Jackson Holiday, Wyatt Lankford. For the most part, their floors are higher than Ellie, and and Ellie's upside is higher than their ceilings. And I think Junior Comanero might be a little bit different because I think Comanero can make an argument for top ten in the game in a few years here with the power that he possesses, the the discipline. He just has that one tool that being the power is is electric um but ellie has the speed he has the power if he can find a way to uh, fall into a 300 average which i think the exit velocity could allow at some point in his career and it could allow this season he's shown it in the minor leagues that exit velocity is a, is a tool in its own right that allows him better stats than others something that we've talked about with o'neill cruz as well when you hit the ball that hard it finds a way to find grass uh, and Ellie could be that. Now, if Ellie cannot find a way to make contact at the major league level, you really are looking at a, you know, a 220, 240 average, still amazing power and speed. He needs to figure out the launch angle. All of these things I have confidence in, he hasn't even played a full season yet. So I love the pick. I would have taken Ellie if, if you didn't. Um, obviously, in that league, it would not have gotten back to me at 32, but I still think Ellie's a fantastic first-round choice, no matter what the industry is currently saying. I want to talk about it reminds one... Me of, it reminds me of Corbin Carroll last year. You you convinced me that Corbin Carroll was going to break out. There was no questions asked. And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from Ellie, too. Everybody keeps sleeping on him, but everybody forgets that he struggled almost each yes. a level he made it through in the minors. And guess what? He figured out he adjusted... And near the end of the year last year, he made better decisions. He was starting to strike out a little bit less. He was swinging a little bit less. Um, so, I mean, I think he's going to adjust. And I think I think we're going to be talking about Ellie as a top six, if not top three player next year. It's almost locked. Yeah, and I think the big thing is Ellie's tools. It, it's the greatest tool package I have ever seen. Personally, um, and, and that's because I did not monitor Ronald Acuna in the minor leagues. I wasn't really monitoring Juan Soto outside of the fact that what he was doing was ridiculous. And Juan didn't have the speed. So there's a piece of that, too. Um, Jordan is the one name that catches my attention when I talk about prospects, because what Jordan was doing the season that he was promoted to the major leagues was it was prodigious power. You knew looking at the minor leagues, I think it was 23 home runs that season before he was called up. It was a home run almost every other day. And you knew that Jordan was going to be a power hitter because there was a contact profile attached to that. Ellie, as we monitored him over the last two years, you just saw this entire package of tools. And then once he figured a level out, it was pure domination. And I'm really excited to see if what you just said can really trans uh, transplay this season and, and be 
his 2024 profile. You know, patience at the plate, really leveraging that swing to create line drives, fly balls, utilizing that speed is not only could he be a top three, he could far and away, in my opinion, exceed Ronald Acuna. I don't ever ex- expect a 40-70 season out of Acuna again. I think, I don't want to say it's it's a, a, a variable or a, a variant for Acuna, but we might see another 40-40 from Acuna. But at the end of the day, 70 stolen bases has never been done with 40 home runs. And I think Ellie can be an easy 30-60 for two, three, four years. Or you're talking about 40-30. Um, only two players in the game right now can do that. And that's Ellie and, and Ronald Acuna. So. I completely agree. All right, moving on. we got two more things to hit. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on them. But uh, we are doing a couple of Roto and Categories leagues. Is there anything that you noticed different about your strategy in the Roto and Categories than points? Um, I think in the later rounds of the Categories, I was looking for players that could give me some speed. I was looking at what their potential is, what they can give me, because I started out my first three rounds with Juan Soto, Rafi Devers, and Boba Shett, all of which I don't foresee them stealing more than 15 bases, so I was already at a disadvantage in a 5 by 5 category. I now pretty much have nine categories or four from the hitting side, so I was missing out on that. So that's when I went and got... Um, the speedsters trying to pull up my team here real quick bear with me and so I went and got guys like uh, Ronnie Mauricio I think he is going to give at least 20 stolen bases this year Willie Castro I mentioned I think is good for 30 Geraldo Perdomo he's my middle infielder I think he's good for at least 15 to 20 Jason Dominguez was a guy I actually traded for because I didn't realize he had like 50 stolen bases this past year in the minors. So do I expect that from him? Not necessarily, but I think he can definitely give me um, maybe 20 home runs, 30 stolen bases at his peak, and I'll take that for sure. Um, I went and got Jaron Duran um, from the Boston Red Sox. I think he's good for 30 stolen bases. Jake McCarthy, I think is good for 50 if he can get on base. If he so, can play. And if, and if yeah, he can play. If he can play. Yeah. yeah. So as you can see, I was tar- I was picking out certain players that I think can give me that speed. Now, by doing that, though, I kind of gave up on all my power. Like McCarthy's no power. Duran, I don't see much power. So I'm basically getting all of my power out of Juan Soto, Devers, Bichette, and hoping Ronnie Mauricio is the big deal. So... I, yeah, we'll see how it turns out. It's it's, an inter- it's interesting. Yeah, the experiment is interesting when you look back on it. I, and I'm just gonna say it flat out. I, I think I took a different approach, which again, draft position is key. I, I will reference the industry league. <clears throat> I tried to pair average to above average contact with above average power. So I took Junior Comanero and I took Wyatt Langford. I thought, okay, I'm not gonna get speed from those guys. So what do I need to do? I need to get Victor Scott and I need to get Enrique Bradfield. I need to go out and get the absolute fastest guys in the minors, A, so that I have them, and B, so no one else has them. And then hopefully C, one of those players will enter into my lineup, if not both of those players want to enter into my lineup, and I won't have to worry about speed. Two guys can carry the load, but this is key too. On top of that, this is a name that I really, really like this draft season, C.J. Abrams. You know, I, think I've take, I think I have him in almost every league except one or two that I've been drafting. You toss him at shortstop, he's not going to give you the Ellie De La Cruz power. 
but he's going to give you the speed. He has developing power. I don't necessarily think we'll ever get to 30 home runs, but this could be a guy that sits around 15 to 20 every single season and possibly pushes 50, 60 stolen bases with, a, I'd say, a floor of 35 to 40. And that really key is finding the shortstop. I think it's either a Volpe, it's a, an Ellie, it's a C.J. Abrams, and trying to find that paired with players that have speed. I think yours is more balanced. Mine, it really it's is. It's funny. It's, it's funny that you bust. say that you went to the minors for your speed because you had the majors for your power. I did the complete opposite. I went to the majors for my speed and I went to the minors for minors my power. Minors for your power. I got, because <laughs> I went and I got Basalo and Duno. Then I got Abby Malik Ortiz, um, uh, Brock Wilkin, and then um, some guys that I think are a good power speed blend with Sebastian Walcott, Matt Shaw, Dylan Cruz. Um, Connor Griffin, Paulino Santana, who we'll talk about coming up here soon. So um, I think it's funny that I kind of started going for those power hitters in the minors because I was um, down on speed. Well, and this, again, this is an open universe draft. This was a wild draft. You know, it, it, there was no, in my opinion, there was no, oh, you robbed that player from me. It was okay. Well, screw it. I'll take the 17 year olds. You know, I mean, we were taking players all over the board at all different oh, times. Yeah. And I and I really did enjoy that. And this is definitely, I think, my highest upside uh, team with Kruntz from Wake Forest. I have uh, Weatherholt as well. Um, you know, you have a number of guys that I really like. This, this was just a great draft and a league that I really hope continues because we put a lot of time into this draft. Um, but all right, moving on, we kind of covered the overall strategy that we took there. And, and again, this plays into where your draft position is, what your format is, right? If it's open universe, if there are minors and majors drafts, like all of those things play really heavy. But let's branch now into some of the players that, you know, we had talked about. I have it listed as players we slept on. I think in reality, what it is, is it's players that probably fell under the radar for us this season or players that either you or I weren't as familiar with. And uh, Paulino Santana is our first on the list. He's a player you drafted. Why don't you go ahead and start uh, talking about Santana for our listeners? Yeah, so with it being open universe, when we got into the later rounds, a lot of the miners started to fall off. There was majors who were like, yeah, it's just a kind of a guy. And I'm like, at this point in the draft, I want to get the next superstar. I want to find who's going to make an impact for me down the road. So started digging a little bit more into the upcoming international signees um, for the 2024 season coming up here. And the one that really stuck out to me was Paulino Santana. And you got to take this with a grain of salt with whatever grades MLB gives these international guys. I feel like they always play it safe and give them 50 to 55 overall because at the end of the day, these kids are 16, 17. You have no idea what they're going to turn out to be. You, I mean, they're still hitting growth spurts. They could grow anywhere from an inch to six inches in the next two to three years. They could put on anywhere from five to 50 pounds. You have no idea how they're going to develop. But anyways, Polino Santana gets literally 55 hit, 55 power, 55 run. But the thing I fell in love with was um, the raving reports on his work ethic and the team that he um, trains with is the same as Ethan Salas. And they were comparing Paulino Santana to Ethan Salas and then they were comparing his hit tool and his speed and everything that he does to um, well I'm blanking on his name right now uh, Julio Rodriguez 
And that really stuck out to me that you're comparing this kid who's 17, not even signed yet. I mean, he's going to sign with the Texas Rangers. It's almost a foregone conclusion. But 6'2", 180, he's got the frame, everything you like. He can put on at least 20 more pounds, 6'2", 200, can move. I like what I see from him. So I went and I took took uh, Paulino Santana, and I definitely will be keeping my eyes on him. Yeah, and kind of looking back uh, just a couple of years here, we'll talk about the 2023 signing class in a moment because when we actually our top four in the 2023 is a lot of names that we really like, a couple that we've really just started falling in love with. But I want to reference that signing for the uh, the the Rangers because you're talking about a player entering into an already amazing minor league system coming off the World Series championship, which I think is really key. And again, when we look at past years, the first one or two guys hasn't always been a home run. But you look at the 2023 class, Ethan Salas obviously has all the rave reviews, has a lot of the popularity at age 17 for the Padres reaching double A. Uh, Feline Sestine for the Mariners did not play this season. We've kind of talked a little bit about him. He is probably fourth on their depth chart for shortstops just because we haven't seen actual minor league numbers yet, but very big pedigree, very high upside. Um, Eoline Vargas is a guy that we're going to talk about in a minute here. Yo, Hendry Vargas, excuse me for the Dodgers. Uh, he was third on the list. Alfredo Deneau, a guy you and I kind of just recently stumbled across and fell in love with number four for the Reds. And then Luis Morales, another name we will talk about today. This is a very good top five signing class. I would have to imagine the 2004 class will be very good as well. Um, and then you have number one on pipeline is Leo de Varies. Is that how you pronounce Fry, it? I think Fries. Fries. Vries. Okay. Vries. Let's go with Devries. That sounds good. I like I like him over Santana, but at the end of the day, who knows? Right? Like you like Santana. Yeah, Devries was being compared to uh switch hitting Jose Ramirez for the Cleveland mm-hmm. Guardians. Um, but with a little bit less power. So you drafted him as well, to- yes. I wanted to. He got sniped from me okay. three picks before. I think I went. I'd have to pull up the draft board, but um, he was definitely on my radar. But I think somebody knew that I was going to take him because I had just taken Paulino Santana. Um, and I was like, you mother. <laughs> this is definitely one I was not the happiest about. Well, and we will do a 2024 international uh, show before the international signings happen just so that we kind of brush up our own understanding of these players also get something out there for you that uh, did we did we have not done that s- since the show um started yeah, three we, years ago and Leo DeVries went three picks before me and, and then I went and took Robert Collis who we'll talk about soon. okay uh, all right well let's get back into it we have uh next on our list the name from the 2023 class you Andre Vargas this is a player I'm going to be honest, I had no idea about all year, started getting taken in some of our drafts, and I was like, interesting, and looked into him, and he was just a DSL performer that, for whatever reasons, didn't fall under my metrics. Again, I I like ISO as my indicator for minor league baseball. I also like uh, more walks to strikeouts, and Vargas had one more strikeout than walks, so not that that's a glaring issue. It just did not fall in my parameters. So go ahead and talk about Vargas a little bit because you like him a lot. Yeah, I like him a lot just pretty much looking at that standpoint. I think the biggest thing for me, you like looking at ISO. I like looking at walk-to-strikeout rate. And when you're pretty much 
dead even. I like to see that. It's those guys with the high strikeout rates that I don't like, and that's part of the reason why I missed out on Ellie De La Cruz when I did because most guys, not saying everybody's Ellie De La Cruz, but most guys, when they have strikeout concerns in the lower levels of the minors, they usually fizzle out and they can't make it because you're going to face more advanced pitching, more breaking stuff, better command, and if you can't hit the fastball that's right over the plate with a few occasional sliders and change-ups, what are you going to do when you get some splitters, knuckle curves, all the other um, combinations of pitches that are out there? So definitely I liked what I saw from him from the walk-to-strikeout rate, but I really liked the seven home runs in 48 games. Like That's pretty much a 21 homer pace, more or less, 19 stolen bases. So you're looking at a player... Now, this is definitely projecting, but had he done a full season, we're looking at 21 home runs with about 57 stolen bases. That's definitely something like, especially when you throw on a 328 batting average. Now, granted, it's only 48 games and it's in the DSL. So it's definitely potential. You got to see what these guys do in the second year and if they get put to low A and high A and how they perform. That's usually when they start getting talked about in bigger circles. That's what happened with Jackson Churio. As soon as he went to low A and then progressed to high A and continued on his progression, that's when everybody jumped on Jackson Churio. And it's at this point in these dynasty drafts when you get in the later rounds, you got to get it before they get to that low A and high A. And this is definitely one of those players that has that potential. Well, yeah. And, you know, another thing I'm really big on is the old school scouting um, approach and mentality on body size and, and Vargas has it 6'4 175 is what his classifications were listed at uh, one, when he was coming into the international signing he's going to develop he's going to grow I'm going to have to imagine he's going to grow out of that shortstop position we kind of talked about that today I was able to take him in a league and he is my first um, on deck player as, as you and I uh, have it on our on our spreadsheets he's the guy that's backing up Anthony Volpe for me so I had said to you, I'm going to have to get some more depth because Vargas at 6'4 is probably going to be an outfielder. I'm just going to have to guess, if not transition into a third baseman. You know, that tall stature at short, Ellie's been able to do it so far. O'Neal's tried to do it. You have a couple other players like Carlos Correa who have a tall stature. A-Rod was 6'3", and that was at the time even a little bit larger. So I'm imagining Vargas pulls off short. They'll probably keep him there as the athletic or the best athlete on the field until the time comes. But it's not unforeseeable that he could stick. And you're right, that plate discipline is really key. The speed is really nice, especially the speed with that tall stature shows that he has the ability to, to continue an athletic body. Um, this next player that we have listed is interesting because he was a player that a, a few teams had taken in our drafts. And after looking at his stat line, it really just reminds me a lot of Jeffrey Rosa without the extreme power. Um, so why don't you go ahead and talk about the next Vargas on our list? Yeah, the next one, I'm going to butcher his name, Echidry. Or Echidry. That's why I didn't try. Uh, that's why I passed it off <laughs> that's to you. That's why you passed it <laughs> Either way, uh, second base slash shortstop for the Texas Rangers. I view him as a third baseman, but he signed in 2022, 18 years old, 5'11", 170. So he doesn't meet Matt's standards of having to be six foot. Um, but what I did like from him is last year in the DSL, he batted 301, only four homers in 54 games, but 13 stolen bases. 
Walkout to strikeout rate isn't the greatest. Um, 13 to 27 last year, this year 21 to 55, but it's not horrible. 17 stolen bases this year with 11 home runs in only 53 games is the thing that I like from this Vargas from the Texas Rangers. His power increased. His stolen bases stayed about what you would expect. Um, but he went from the DSL last year to rookie ball and then played one game at low A. So what I like with this Vargas is that he's progressing and he's doing better at each of the rankings. Um, 301 in the DSL last year and then in rookie ball this year, he batted 315 stateside. So love to see it. Once again, these guys are so young. They still have so much to develop and more competition to see. So in the shallower leagues, it's more of a wait and see approach. But in dynasty leagues, um, definitely have to go and take your shot. And the one thing I'm upset about is in both of these leagues, the first one I wasn't like I've heard of these names because of where they were in international signings, but I wasn't paying attention to how great they were doing and how much they progressed. And so in our points leagues, they were definitely targets of mine and they actually went way earlier than when I was willing to take them or I had other needs or just didn't happen. So I missed out on these two guys. So I'm a little bummed about it, but definitely players that if I join other dynasty leagues, I will be keeping an eye on. Yeah. And Chendry Vargas definitely for me is a guy that I would push back to the back end of my rankings. Uh, when you look at his line, it's actually similar to Jeffrey Rosa, a player that we've been talking about for a number of months here. Rosa fell off quite a bit towards the end of the season, finally uh, hitting 277. He had 46 strikeouts to 16 walks, but he had 15 home runs, really prodigious power. And similar strikeout profile now when you're talking about uh, Yoandri Vargas. That's the profile we really like, the 30 walks to the 31 Ks. And then this next player we have also kind of falls right in line with that, which is interesting because I'm starting to see a trend for the Dodgers, which is players with discipline at the DSL. And I'm really curious if that's something that they're coaching early on. They're not so much worried about go ahead and showcase those raw tools. It's more like let's build really good foundational behavior. So as we push you up the rankings, you you continue those behavior traits. Something I'm definitely going to want to monitor. And I think also think it goes into show the Dodgers have had a lot of success in developing their international talent over the last six, seven years. Again, having O'Neill Cruz, having Jordan Alvarez in the system originally. Um, this next name is Eduardo Quintero. He's 18, outfielder, 170 at-bats in 2023, five home runs, 22 stolen bases, 34 strikeouts to 32 walks. So very similar and in line with Vargas. Uh, again, a guy I didn't know about. Didn't fall into my parameters. Power wasn't necessarily there. I'm guessing the ISO wasn't there. I don't have much more than the stat line to essentially scout here, but I like the speed profile. I like the walks to strikeouts. I think this could be a really nice contact first outfield prospect for the Dodgers, and it's a name that I will probably keep an eye on for future speed with those 22 stolen bases. Yeah, the thing I like with Eduardo Quintero is, and I can't find it, there was a scouting report out there, and he's actually not known for his hitting. He's known for his prodigious power. He's supposed to have some of the best power in his class, and for the life of me, I cannot find where it came from. Um, but yeah, 358, 359 batting average in the DSL, only five home runs, but 49 games, like 
I still think that's such a small sample size that could be a hot streak for anybody in the majors and it doesn't even get looked upon in the full season statistics if they bat at 200 on either end of this hot streak so take that with a grain of salt but um, definitely somebody I'm watching he's listed as a catcher but he's too big he's going to move off he's most likely going to be an outfielder at six foot um, yeah there's not much more on him but definitely somebody that I will admit wasn't even on my radar until I started seeing him go and I was almost looking at him because I needed catcher um, or catcher depth and then once I read up on him and found out he's gonna move to outfield I was like well <laughs> I need outfield depth too so um yeah, I guess apparently he was listed as the DSL National League All-Star. Um, that's pretty much all I can really find on him right now. Yeah, and I'm looking at overall reviews of him right now. You have some amateur write-ups kind of similar to what ours, ours would be that have him listed as a gap power speed patience uh, defender plus. Um, I didn't find the power profile that you spoke on, but... This is the hard thing, and I think this it's is out what, there. It's out there. What we'll reference with every single one of these guys is we won't know until they hit high A. You know, we can get really excited about them like we have for Montez. Uh, you know, Dino's another name we're going to talk about, but until these guys really start to face high A, double A players, we're kind of just dreaming on the numbers that we're seeing. And I think our next name is exactly a representation of that. This is a guy that you drafted, if I am correct, and you really kind of fell in love with. That's John Carlos Lara for the Braves. This is a pitcher at 20 years old. Tell us a little bit about Lara. Yeah, I actually wanted to get him, but I couldn't get him. Um, he was part of an international signing, too. I don't know which class. I can't pull it up right now. I'm trying to find his numbers. But... Either way, he's a young guy, um, moved from low A to high A, only 20 years old for the Braves organization. So one big green flag there. When you pitch for the Braves organization, you already get a boost in my mind. Um, in 20 games, 81 and a third innings, 114 strikeouts. So right there, when you can strike out way more than what you're pitching, you're definitely going to be somebody on my radar. You also look at the Brave system. They're lacking that pitching as of right now. There are rumors that they might go and get Dylan Cease or even Corbin Burns. I don't see Corbin Burns going there. I don't see the Brewers trading inner leagues um, in the NL. I see them most likely dealing Corbin Burns somewhere to the AL, um, possibly the Orioles. But either way, that's going off key here. The whole point I'm trying to make is I could see Lara taking some sort of an ascension like we saw with A.J. Smith-Shawver this year. If it continues, I could see him getting into double-A, possibly triple-A, and if he keeps excelling at the rate he is, maybe we see a major league debut from him and everybody's going to be like, who's this Lara kid? I had no idea. Well, you heard it here first, fantasy baseball buds. Well, and mindfulness to a lot of the international um, pitchers have had struggles. Um, and I, I think it's only a matter of time until we start to see either better development or, or these players really start to kind of bubble up to the major league level. I think Christian uh, Javier is a really interesting name because he was signed as an older player. That's a lot of the notoriety attached to his player profile. Obviously, he's had his ups and downs at the major league level. But we are still waiting for the pitchers to catch up to the hitters. The hitters are obviously leading the way as major league baseball superstars right now. You have Acuna. You have Rodriguez um, just among the few. And we need some of the pitchers to really start coming in and, and giving us more pitching depth. So hopefully Lara can be one of the first 
um, and you know, amongst many to come. We have another pitcher next, ironically, to kind of help build off that little tyrant I went on. That's Luis Morales, another name, another player you like a lot. This is from the Oakland A's, future to be the Las Vegas A's, 21 years old, is classified as high A now, played in 14 games with 44 innings pitched in 2023, 53 strikeouts and a 109 whip. What do you have to add on Luis Morales? Yeah, Morales, uh, he was the fifth overall signing in the 2023 class of last year behind Ethan Salas, Felman Selston, Yoandre Vargas, who we just talked about, and Alfredo Duno, who we'll talk about coming up. I believe he's on our list. But yeah, he's the, the fifth signing of what appears to be one of the best classes that has ever been signed, at least in my recent history, assuming that all of these players continue on the trajectory that they're on. But the thing I like with Morales the most is his ascension from the DSL to rookie ball to low A to high A all within one year. Now, granted, he's 21, so he's a little bit older, so he's probably at the competition that he should be now. But I definitely like what I saw from him, 44 innings, 53 strikeouts, so more strikeouts than innings. The walks were low with 15. I love pitchers that have good control. He seems to fit that profile. He's got a fastball that grades out at 60, a slider at 55, so two above average pitchers. He also can throw in a curveball or changeup, which can be average, possibly above average in the near future. And he's got good control, 50 grade on his control. So he's got all the makings to be, I would say, at his peak, a number two. But realistically, I could see him being a number three, probably is most likely with his floor being a number four. Yeah, very much so a opportunity aspect to here, I think, for Morales. I think when you talk about Oakland and, and just the staff that they've accumulated, it's a bunch of fours, fives, sixes, especially a lot of these guys that they've gotten in trades. And when it comes to what they've chosen to draft over the last few years, it's been hitters. So Morales will definitely have that opportunity. I'm curious to see when that opportunity comes. I, I would like to see him pushed heavily for a late-season appearance, maybe out of the bullpen. I know he's only classified at a high A now, but double A should be right around the corner. And then why waste those bullets? Bring him up. And you could be looking at a guy that's rising up boards really, really fast if we see a hot start out of the gate for Morales. And again, 21. So just another name from the international class that we're starting to get really excited about on the mound. Next up, we have a DSL Rocky and not the DSL Rocky you're probably assuming we're going to talk about in Hidalgo. We have Robert uh, Calaz. I'm pronouncing it right? Calas? Calaz? Yeah, nobody Calaz. knows. Um, again, we're sorry. We, we will kind of <laughs> piggyback off other uh, publications once we have a, a better understanding. Outfielder, 18 years old. 157 at-bats in 2023. Batted 325, seven home runs, six stolen bases, 42 strikeouts to 22 walks. Richie, he's on our list. You have him on the list. What do you got to add for him? Yeah, this is a, a guy I got in the um, industry categories league after I got sniped on DeVries. Um, he's listed as the 24th best international signing from last year's class. What he's known for is his power hitting ability. Now you pair that with Colorado, and that's just a dream come true. Um, but what really stuck out to me was what he did with his contact in the DSL in his 43 games, batted 325, showed some of that power with seven home runs, even threw in a little bit of speed with six stolen bases. His plate discipline's okay, 22 walks to 43 strikeouts. 
I don't like the 43 strikeouts in 43 games. That's pretty much a strikeout per game. Um, where you're looking at like a 33% clip. So it's a little bit on the higher end, but um, we're getting deeper in the drafts here. And I just like the potential if he stays in Colorado. If you pull up his picture, he looks like a tall, lengthy person. And you just think at 18, he can add some power or add some muscle get that power going a little bit more. He's already putting that up. So I like the future that could be for Robert Collis. Yeah, and again, body type is something I fall in love with. If I remember correctly, he rated out at 6'3". Um, yeah, 6'2". Uh, 6'2", six two. Six two, yep. 6'2", some... but he's already 200 pounds, but he looks like he's 180. So, I mean, well, crazy. And, and those are some, some of the things that, you know, you have to evaluate when talking about some of these names that you're going to be adding to your systems. I think in some of the drafts that we had, because they were they were fresh start drafts, we were ad, able to add a number of these players that we really like but are kind of going to sit on. I've acquired a few Dynasty teams this offseason, and I've looked at their minor league system, and I just shake my head because I have absolutely no idea why they've even decided to roster some of these players. That could easily be a collage in a few years, you know, where someone takes over our team if we leave a league, and it's like, why are you rostering this player? But at the time, we had we had reasons. Um, all right, next on the list is a guy that we've kind of got excited about. I've known about now, I think, for about a month as I dove into the Red Sox system. Uh, that's Yolian Cespedes. That's shortstop, again, for the Red Sox. That's DSL. 18 years old, 191 plate appearances, and hit 346 with six home runs. One stolen base, 24 Ks to 14 walks. It's a pretty good hitting profile here. What do you think about Cespedes? Um, I like him, but I'm weary of him, mostly because of his bloodlines. Um, you look at his older brothers, Yolikwe. Um, I think he's with the White, White Sox. Sox. He, yep. he has not done anything. Um, I hate to say this because I'm a short guy myself, but he's only 5'9". So, like, how much power is he really going to get out of? There's not many Jose Altuves out there that can really tap in to all of their potential with the power. Um, but you can't ignore what he did in his first year, batting 346 in the 46 games. That's just nuts. That screams to you, like, put me on the radar, coach. Put me in. Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to think who's the actual Cespedes that gave them the name, the bloodlines. Ioana um, Cespedes? Help me. Yoannis, yeah. yeah. So, like, he's got that going for him. But definitely a name to pay attention to. Um, I did get him in the industry league. I missed out on him in the points league, um, mostly because I could have got him, but I was trying to diversify my prospect pools, and I wanted to go a different route and get some of the guys that I didn't already have. Um, so at least I have one share of him. But definitely somebody I'm going to be paying attention to and checking in definitely throughout next year. Yeah, his brother had the same issue, and you kind of you got to mention it. Was it the stature? Wasn't really able to deliver on that power potential. Was also brought over in the international signing at an older older age, if I remember correctly. Was brought over at 22 from Cuba. Uh, so Yulene has a little bit of a benefit of coming over at a younger age, and you know starting his professional development early on, and profiles differently. Contact first. The other two brothers were definitely power guys. Um, the eldest Cespedes having that unbelievable arm that also played with his defensive prowess. Next name on our list is my favorite. I have fallen in love with Mr. Alfredo Deneau. This is Red's DSL catcher, 17 years old, 152 at-bats, batted 303 with six home runs, six stolen bases. 
This is actually a player that we've seen swing the bat a little bit on uh, Twitter or X clips. Fourth rated player in his international signing class was definitely overshadowed by Ethan Solace. We've talked a little bit about that, you and I off the air. Um, I've fallen in love with Dano. You're starting to really like him. What do you think? What have you seen? Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, like the only thing I don't like is I don't think he stays at catcher and I don't know where he's going to play with that loaded Reds um, team that they have there. They already have a log jam, but if he hits his way into the lineup, he will. I could see him ascending in the next three years, if maybe four, um, if he stays at his current trajectory. I like the plate discipline, 38 walks to 41 strikeouts. You know, I like that. Um, even if the strikeouts are a little bit high, 41 and 45 games. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit it right on the head. Well, and I've seen the swing. The swing, I don't necessarily see a whole lot of bat speed with it, but it's it's big boy power. The swing concerns me a little bit just because it's a, it's a power approach. Uh, it's a lot of power generated by body strength and not so much bat speed. It's hard to tell again with these DSL clips because the video isn't the greatest. So I really can't wait for him to get stateside. I can't wait for him to hit a high A, really start to see the profile. You know, the biggest thing with him is, especially with the excitement of Samuel Basalo this year, you know, if these kids can continue at A and high A, you're really going to start to figure out where the big league club values them and where they are going to play. And, you know, I think it's probably safe to say that one out of 10 of these guys that we've talked about today may be relevant once they hit double A. Others will fall off. And that's just the nature of the DSL. It's the nature of the Florida, Com uh, excuse me, Florida Complex League. Um, but Deneau is a guy that we really like in a good system, too. I think that's the big key for me. The Reds are producing minor league talent at a great rate right now. I think arguably close to what Baltimore is doing. Baltimore is getting more notoriety and more praise. But what the Reds are bringing to the table with having Rhett Lauder in that system, Ty Floyd, Deneau, um, Sal Stewart, just some of, the, some of the guys still in the minor leagues, is going to be pushed up and propped up over the next couple of years. Next name on the list is yet another Dodger DSL. This is going to be another shortstop, I think, very similar to Yolene Cespedes in regards to he's probably just a name right now, but a name to monitor. It's Elias Medina. Medina is a shortstop, 18 years old, 150 at-bats in 2023, batted 313, seven home runs, 16 stolen bases, 16 walks to 37 Ks. Richie, not a whole lot I want to mention about Medina other than he's a guy I've nabbed just because, um, and he comes in second to last on my shortstop depth chart, but I do not have Cespedes on that depth chart yet. Uh, anything you want to add about Medina or just a guy to watch? No, definitely just a guy to watch. I will be honest and say that I did not really know his name before you brought it up to me during these drafts, so kudos to you on... Um, unhindering this gem here um definitely somebody that is now on my radar well and you know we like yo andy a lot does that i say it correctly yo andy yo andy morales yeah. um i got him in the i think he's the player that i ended up taking over yolan cespedes okay um I, I believe that's the pick i went with because i wanted to get some depth behind junior caminero awesome i uh, just want to mention here that uh, you've got an awful football game happening on Monday night. It is the Bengals. It is the Jaguars. It is tied at 31, 16 seconds to go. You have two backup quarterbacks in the game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. I thought you said this wasn't a football podcast. May have torn his Achilles. <laughs> we are waiting to find oh, out. Really? Um, was That's... stepped on and couldn't walk. So 
who knows? But Maybe we'll trade for Aaron Rodgers. Good lord. Um, <laughs> this is why I don't play fantasy football. All right, we had a couple more names. Uh, this next one's really mine. A guy that I've passed along to you that I really like. I took him as a late round flyer. Uh, that's Brandon Winnaker for Minnesota 2023 draft. So this year's draft, third round, pick 82 overall. Outfielder, 18 years old. Only had 66 at bats. Batted 288, four home runs. Had a good amount of strikeouts at 23 Ks to only four walks. Tall kid, if I remember correctly, 6'4", 6'3". Um, really falls in line with what the Twins like to draft, which is taller outfielders with a little bit of uh, leverage and power. I'm really excited for him. This is a kid that I want to grab in all my first-year player drafts. I don't necessarily know what it is. I just have fallen for his his overall profile. And I think this could be a kid that if you miss out on Walker Jenkins in that first round, this could be a really nice name in round three or four that people probably aren't going to draft. And you might get really exciting uh, results from him next year at low A. Uh, and he stayed in rookie, so there is some concerns with the strikeouts, but 18 years old, high school, uh, I love the kid. You got anything to add? No, other than what you've told me and that he's got some power um, pop in his profile, and that's something you definitely want to have as a um, big leaguer. But yeah, yeah that's and pretty much all I really know on him. 6'5", tall kid. Um, 210, so yeah, he's got the... He's got the frame to get it out of the ballpark for sure. Is it uh, is it Walnier that's playing for them right now? Their uh, uh, their outfielder for, for for the Minnesota Twins. Oh, Walner. Walner. I, I think Walner? I see yeah. a lot of Walner in him. I I'm hoping for a more of a contact approach because Walner has the power, but you know could be a 220 230 hitter with not as much power as you'd like. So if he can hit 250, 260, give you that power, he could be a starter. And I think that's really important, especially in first-year player drafts. If you can grab a starting outfield in the third or fourth round, you're really looking at at, um, at depth. Um, next name on the list, we got three left. That's Blake Walters, Kansas City 2023 draft pick, if I am correct. I think second or third round pick. I have him on the list today because a lot of teams in our drafts had no interest in him. He fell and fell and fell. I think I ended up taking him once or twice. This is a high school arm. This is an arm that they ended up saving money on in the first round to go out and draft. And I'm very excited to see what the 2023 season holds. Also a name I would be targeting in third, fourth, or fifth rounds for first-year player drafts. Don't have a whole lot of profile on, on him, but I know he was uh, a big target for Kansas City, big high school arm. Yeah, the only thing I really know is that um, he gets comparisons to Bobby Miller fastball touches yep. 99 but it really sits in the mid 90s around 94 to 96 um yeah he's got a slider uh, change up and who knows he's got the frame 64 215 um but yeah high school so who knows we'll see all right two more names um this next one i came across last night had absolutely no idea this person existed this was the brewers third round pick in 2022 uh, 102 overall. This is Dylan O'Ray. O'Ray, if you want to go ahead and look him up, he was uh, not given any credits. He was unranked, if I am correct, in the 2022 draft, which was probably obviously a surprise for a lot that he was taken in the third round. Awesome season. Uh, 218 total at-bats, batted 349. No home runs, which is a little disappointing, but had 44 stolen bases. You're talking about a very high-end contact speed profile here, which plays really well in today's game. Uh, and I think his profile overall is far and away exceeding 
some of the profiles the Brewers currently have with Sal Stewart as well as Cal Mitchell, which are very similar guys. And, and O'Reilly overall walked more than he struck out. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I did not write them down, but I want to say it was like... 57 walks to yep. 37 strikeouts. Love that. It's He gets a, he gets a 30-grade power on a 20 to 80 scale, so I don't think he's hitting any home runs, maybe five at his peak. Yeah. But it, when you... It's giving me Luis Arise vibes with more speed. Yeah, which is, man, get this kid to second base. Uh, Shortstop rated right now, but this is is a profile that you get really excited about when it's like, eh, this kid could be something. If you can get this in the third round where you've got a leadoff hitter who has, let's just say, 65 to 70 grade speed, which I'm having to assume he is with 44 stolen bases. 70 grade, yeah. Yeah, it's um, someone to definitely keep an eye on, someone to grab because Probably he's not rostered in any of your dynasty leagues. This kid is definitely one we're going to monitor, one I'm going to fall in love with. Uh, but last name on our and list. And he plays for the Brewers, too. He plays so for the Brewers. How can not root for him? That is, uh, that is correct. All right, Richie. Last name. Uh, John Cruz, Yankees, FCL. So he was stateside. He is 18 years old, outfielder, big, tall kid at 6'3", 177 at-bats in 2023, batted 294. 10 home runs, 9 stolen bases, 44 strikeouts to 22 walks. Love, love this profile. Um, I think out of all the kids we didn't hear about, uh, other than Yoandri Vargas, Cruz is my number two. What do you think? Yeah, John Cruz is still somebody that I need to do a little bit more research on. I didn't understand the hype. I get that he was um, in the Yankees organization, and he had the power speed blend had decent average so definitely somebody i like i don't know how i would compare him to the vargas and quintero um that we mentioned earlier but add him to the list of players that are definitely going to be on the radar and on the watch list for prospects that we'll be checking in on daily and weekly going into next year yeah and again all these names are guys that we will continue to monitor i sent you over a spreadsheet a couple nights ago of all the guys from our industry league that i either wasn't sure of or 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 not fully up on um it's it's hard when you talk about dsl and we don't do this for a living we do it as a hobby and i think we did pretty damn good this season on notifying or um or notating some of the guys that you know years past we wouldn't have but i think after these drafts we uh we were shown a lot more so that's kind of the beauty in doing these drafts as well um, I really don't have much more to add. I think we're going to probably transition next episode into maybe the international draft, maybe highlighting some of the first-year players. Well, we didn't we didn't even talk about winter meetings starting up today, and Otani should be signed by the next time we record. Well, did you see today the Toronto offer or supposed offer? Did you see that? I heard I I heard that they're the most likely candidates to get Juan Soto, not. So let me just give you what I had. And again, this is from Twitter. So technically anyone like ourselves could have just said, hey, this is the situation Here's going on. Going down. Uh, supposedly $650 um, million hear that on the table. For Otani? For Otani. I'm trying to, as I'm talking the to you right Jays. now, I'm, I'm searching and searching and searching huh. to see if I have I doubt it. A reference I also point. saw something on Twitter that there's a chance that he might go back to the Angels. I highly doubt that. I mean... We know he wants to stay on the West Coast. So, you know, there's so many pieces of this that make it hard to um, differentiate. Now, okay, pulling up Twitter, Jackson Holiday. Okay, Chris Clegg, not Chris Clegg. 
Um, I think we're just going to move past this because if I find it in time, it's not going to matter anyways. But That's fine. Last thing, I think the Mariners trade for me at least is a play at Juan Soto. I don't think it's a play at Otani. I was thinking the same yeah. thing. You move Jared Kelnick off. You yep. shave some money with um, Evan White and Marco Gonzalez. They don't have like any big money on the books. Maybe Luis Castillo, I think. And Henio Suarez and being traded out saved money too. Yep, yep. And um, the other thing is the Padres said that they want young, controllable, MLB-ready pitching. Guess what the Mariners have a lot of? Young, MLB-ready pitching. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go and do something like that. But the other thing is there's a lot of rumors that say Juan Soto doesn't want to sign an extension and his agent says that he wants him to go into free agency and create a bidding war because that's where Juan Soto is going to get the most money. So whoever does decide to go and trade for Juan Soto, are you willing to give up all of what the Padres are asking for, for one year, 30 million of Juan Soto? And that's the question you got to ask yourselves. You know, if I'm the Mariners, I'm not. Um, but the other, the other flip side to this is you have, you have Montez who's flying up prospect ratings, you know, who who would be really, really glamorous for the Padres because they gave up James Wood. Similar profile, especially at the age. Very similar. Obviously, one being international and being drafted. You have guys like Cole Young stuck behind guys like Colt Emerson, at least in our rankings. Then you have Taj Pete, right, who we really li- I really like, but stuck behind both of them. And then you've got a bunch of middling outfielders who no one really cares about. You could throw two of those into a package with a couple of the pitchers. You could even offer up Bryce Young, right, who I think we're both on the same agreement with. He's probably a number four. Um, Bryce Miller, sorry. Oh, Bryce um, Miller. Probably a number four starter at the major league level, like maybe number three. I don't think he ever reaches ace potential. Um, but, you, you know, you have Colt – uh, is it Colt Emerson? Uh, not Colt Emerson. You have uh, Emerson Hancock. So you got a bunch of names you could just throw out there. But for me, he loses value yet again if he goes to the Mariners, being Juan Soto. I would absolutely yeah, I would love to see him in New York. Um, his splits last year between San Diego and road games, we had a 1,000 OPS on the road, and it was like 700 at home. It's, it just doesn't benefit him at all. I just don't want to see another year of Juan Soto wasted in a bad ballpark. So I'm really hoping the Mariners' rumors uh, are not true. Yeah, I guess we will find out, but I'm sure by the next time we record, I wouldn't be surprised if Otani is signed and Juan Soto is traded. I feel like both those deals will be done by the end of winter meetings. I don't think the Padres can afford Juan Soto. They had to take a loan out to get their payroll taken care of, so they're definitely looking to shave some salary. I would not be surprised if they take a deal. Yeah, $27 million this year, it's it's a lot to get off your books if you can. And I, I still think that because you have a few teams in this equation, you're probably going to get some decent assets back. This will be a deal. We'll have to hold up to the CJ Abrams, James Wood um, package that was sent to, uh, yeah, but they Washington. can't ask for that. Cause they, they signed, they had Juan Soto for three years in that package. No, but if now you're giving a one year deal of Juan Soto, away, but say so. you can get beater Thorpe, you know, Arias, let's just say that that's what the Yankees give up. I think those are very nice names. Thorpe oh, being yeah. a guarantee, right? And, well, as close as you can get. But then you have Arias as a high upside. You have Beater as a guy that can eat innings and, and probably be an arm in your organization. That's pretty damn good return for one year. Um, yeah, And Arias could end up being a starter, right? 
Thorpe at least is a number four in your rotation. You're not going to get James Wood and you're not going to get C.J. Abrams, but also when you think about that deal, um, Susanna has not lived up to the hype so far. And I can't think He's of the, out, young, the outfielder right now that we really liked but fell off. Uh, last name started with a G. Um, Robert Hassel did not start with a G, started with an H. So, you know, you already see two of those players fall off, and we have our concerns about James Wood. If that deal ends up just being C.J. Abrams and four guys that didn't pan out for Juan Soto, I could easily see Drew Thorpe, Beater, and Arias being a better return. But that's why we have to give it time and really see everything play out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I could see, I mean, who's to say that Drew Thorpe, um, Clayton Beater, and Roderick Arias aren't all bust and they get nothing out of it, you know? So yeah, you never know with these prospects. They can put up great seasons. They can turn out to be a Joe Adele and Jared Kelnick and be quad A players that dominate anything from triple A and below and they get to the majors and they can't figure it out. So well, and that's the risk you play with going with prospects. That, um, that's the truth. That's why we do the show. Um, and it's what was said about the Juan Soto deal, right? When they traded all those players, everyone was saying, everyone referenced all the trades where everyone got all the prospects and they're like, look, it usually doesn't work out. Now, that package of Wood and Susana and Hassel and Abrams was one of the best packages of all time. We're already seeing this, the, the negative ramifications of that. So... Um, all right. Well, we talked about Juan Soto. Talked a little bit about Otani. Uh, Otani should be signed within this week, so we will have information on him next week, presumably, if what has been said is correct. Did you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think this was a, a good show and definitely opened our eyes. I think we'll have to do a little bit more dynasty leagues every year just to get us some more exposure to some guys we should be paying attention to well and you know watching the ad drops too um okay last thing jared kelnick up or down on him with his move to the braves uh i'm down on him for this year up on him for every other year after that okay. i think i think i don't know i have this weird philosophy that players move to a new location struggle the first year whether it be outside factors you're getting used to a new city new ballpark um, new team. I feel like they struggle. You look at Matt Olson, his first year in Atlanta, you look at Nick Cassianos, his first year in Philly. Um, and that's just the, the recency bias in me, but you look at after that Matt Olson dominated for Atlanta this year, Nick Cassianos had a great year, his second year in Philly. Um, there's also that weird on off on off for Nick Cassianos where he has a great year and then a down year, but regardless, um, I feel like that's something we're going to get. He's going all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. How much of that is a mental game he already has? Um, seems like some mental issues broke his foot kicking a cooler. So that's a warning sign for me as far as handling his emotions and wearing his heart on his sleeve. Um, and then you've thrown the aspect of you've been trade bait now for two different trades going from the Mets to the Mariners for Edwin Diaz and now essentially for salary dump as the, the main piece here. So um, we'll see. I'm down on him for this year, but I'm up on him for every year following 2024. Okay. I, I can get behind that. I, I love it for him. I think you enter into a starting job. There is definitely not much competition there in Atlanta where they've structured their roster with their extensions, leaves a little bit of money for players to be brought in. And, you know, a couple of the 
publications that I've been listening to, Brave Specific, have talked about how Robbie Grossman could be an option, how bringing uh, Rosario back on a team-friendly deal could be an option. And when you look at what Jared Kelnick can bring upside, he is far and away the better option than the two names that I just listed. And it should be a stable job. Great organization. Really, really nice lineup. I think if there's a place for him to resurrect that prospect pedigree, it is Atlanta. And we will get the best opportunity to see if he has anything left and if he can become a, let's just say, a top 30 outfielder, it will be with Atlanta. And I think your your point on change of scenery is really good, and it'll be something we monitor. But he is now a name that I'm kind of more or less excited about to add to my third or fourth outfield slot in drafts, a guy that I will be really happy to take in dynasty drafts as kind of a flyer hoping that I get a starting outfielder uh, uh, here. And I think the biggest issue, last thing to wrap it, is he had a lot of those issues in Seattle, but there were also a lot of other players that could easily be put in his place. That changes in Atlanta. So I am I'm very excited. We will have to see how it all plays out. Um, all right, we're done. Uh, we will catch you guys next time, and have a great one.